Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. If you don't know me, my name's Chris Clark. I am the worship pastor here. I'm also one of the elders here at Redemption Church. And so if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, uh, here's a little handshake to you out in the crowd. Um, I get to continue our series in Acts. We have one more Sunday in the book of Acts before we move into our Christmas series. And I'm very excited about our Christmas series and just the Christmas season. Um, hope that you will all be able to join us for that series and um, singing Christmas songs and Advent readings and all of that. But this morning we have a very powerful and important message as we close down Acts for the year. And then we're gonna pick Acts back up in the new year. Um, and so this is an intense story. Strap on your seatbelts. Are you guys ready for this? All right, I am too. Um, so before we kick this off, I wanna share a little personal story. Uh, when I was 16, 17 years old, I played drums in a band with a group of guys that had a very profound impact on my life. And I would go so far to say that uh, if it weren't for these guys, I'm not sure I'd be standing here today. I probably wouldn't be preaching uh, at a minimum. I'm not even sure I'd be alive. These guys were a uh, very influential part of my faith and, and really helping me along in those early years. And I have some pictures here for your enjoyment. Yes, that is uh, 16 and 17 year old Chris and Emery. Uh, this is Emery's backyard. I'm on the drum kit back there. Uh, I, I don't know if you can pick out Emery, uh, but there she is front and center uh, dancing to our music in her backyard. What a blast from the past that was. And uh, there's I think one more close up here. I don't know why my hat's on sideways. I don't know why I have blue sunglasses. And if you can notice, I've got a lot of necklaces on. All I can say was the 90s. Um, let me explain a little bit of what's going on in this scene um, and help you understand why I'm talking about this. So back in the 90s, there was this underground music scene that kind of started to bubble up. And it was a Christian music scene. And there were these ska bands and punk bands and hardcore bands that you didn't hear on the radio. But man, they were young and they were angsty and they were bold and they were filled with faith. And we were one of those bands. And we were trying our hardest to share our faith with our friends and doing what we loved to do. And if you know anything about playing in a band, you know that the name is very important, right? And we spend a lot of time trying to figure out what is the name of our band gonna be, hours of deliber deliberation, weeks of conversation. And we landed on this name. This was the name that we landed on, Martyr 210. Martyr 210, pretty intense sounding name for a ska band. If you don't know about ska music, it's got horns. You saw the horn players. It's a very fun, silly kind of music. There's dance moves that go along with it. And we decided we're gonna name it Martyr 210 based on Revelation 210. And I wanna tell you why. First, let me read the passage for you. Revelation 210 says this, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, 
and I will give you a crown of life. And now you might be asking, why did this group of 16 and 17 year olds in Reno, Nevada, in this ska band, decide to name their band Martyr 210? And you guys, I, I really didn't have any idea how deep that passage in Revelation went and how connected it was to the entirety of scripture, but I did know it said something bold. And it said, I would die for my faith. And I felt that as a young man. We felt that in that group. And there was teenage angst at its best in that season. And I don't remember exactly what we were suffering through, but the suffering was real, right? <laughs> teenage suffering is real. I'm not making light of it. And parents don't do that thing that I know you're doing right now. Oh, you don't even know. It's real. And we were going through it. And I, and I do know that there was something that we wanted to say that was bold and glad-hearted. Our music was our joy. It was our, our way to share glad hearts with the world. And our name meant something bold. We were willing to die for our faith. And I share all that today just to remind my own heart, but also maybe to help you stoke some flames in you, to know that it is possible to have gladness and boldness in Jesus. And I want you to know as an elder of this church, this has been my prayer for us. It's been my prayer for my heart over this Acts series and for each of you, that God would just ignite the passion and desire and boldness and gladness inside of our hearts again as we experience Jesus and the Holy Spirit and all that he is for us. And I'm gonna continue to pray those prayers as we get through this Acts series together. And so we're gonna pick it up today in Acts chapter six and seven. And this is the story of Stephen. And like I said, it's a pretty intense story. And let me ask you a couple questions here as we get into this. Does your understanding of who God is and what he has done lead you to a glad heart and a bold faith? Question two. Would you lay your life down for it? Question three, do you have resurrection hope? And we're gonna see in this story that Stephen had all three of these things firing. So let's unpack this. Let me pray for us as we open the word. Teach us your word, O Lord, that we may walk in your truth. Father, I pray that you would unite our hearts, every heart in this room to fear your name. And would you put a fire of gladness in our hearts and grant us the courage and faith to be a bold church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. All right. So Acts chapter six, you can open your Bibles there and you're just gonna have to do your best to follow along because we got a lot of scripture to cover. I'm not gonna be reading it uh, word for word all the way through six and seven, uh, but that's where we are, six and seven. And we're picking up the story with Stephen. Jeff introduced us to this man last week. Um, at this point in the story, the church has been exploding, lots of growth. The Holy Spirit had empowered the disciples, so much so that people were being healed miraculously. Thousands were being saved as the gospel of Jesus was being preached. Eyes are opening, ears are being unstopped, hearts are being turned to Jesus. This is what was happening in this scene. And what else do we know about Stephen? What was going on here 
in these chapters. We know that from chapter six, he was a Hellenistic Jew, which Jeff mentioned last week, simply meant there were some cultural differences in how they practiced their faith, and mainly that they spoke in Greek instead of Hebrew. And we know that a complaint arose within the Hellenists that their widows weren't being cared for by the church. There was a daily distribution happening and they were being neglected. And we know that Stephen was one of the seven men appointed to problem solve and serve. And we also know that he was a man of character and was full of the spirit. How do we know this? Back in first, verse five of chapter six, it says this, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. I want you to remember that. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So Stephen is a good man. He's faithfully serving a very practical need in the church. And in a lot of ways, Stephen is just like you and me. He's doing his very best to follow Jesus and to serve a very practical need in the church. And you guys, like any story in the Bible, this one's like a multifaceted diamond that you can look at from many angles and glean all kinds of richness and truth from. And I think one of the reasons this story is in the scripture right here is to encourage us that a man like Stephen, an everyday man serving an everyday need in the church, could have the boldness and the faith to lay down his life for Jesus. And so let's pick up the story here. We'll read a little bit together. Stephen accused and seized. This is chapter six, verse eight. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freed men, as it was, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Sicilia and Asia, they rose up and disputed with Stephen. We're not really sure what they were disputing here. But get this, verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and spirit with which he was speaking. So what do they do? Then they secretly instigate men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs of Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So here we see Stephen in both a practical and a supernatural light. Practically, he was in the middle of doing his work, right? He was carrying on about his way, an active part of helping solve problems in the church as it was growing. Supernaturally, he was living out his faith and God was using him in powerful ways. He was doing great signs and wonders among the people. And a group from a particular synagogue that was comprised of different people rose up and disputed with Stephen, right? That's what we see happening. And remember what it said there, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen was speaking. Where is this coming from? It should have been it, right? They couldn't withstand this wisdom and truth. Argument lost, but no, the fight is on and it continues. So what are these 
what do these people do? They conspire in secret. They stir up the pot and they start making stronger accusations and spreading rumors. This man speaks blasphemy against Moses and God. They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they seize him and they bring him in front of a council. Does this story have a familiar ring to it? It should. These leaders even go so far as to push a false witness in front of the council who straight up lies or at least at a very minimum is super dramatic about what Stephen is doing and saying to make this case. This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we've heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Now there were some truths to these claims. Stephen was sharing a very bold message. Jesus had come to change everything. But like dramatic people often do, looking to create conflict, this false witness exaggerates. He never ceases to speak words against this place. I have a hard time understanding how this man who had the face like an angel, who was standing before this angry group of people, was a man who was also out there saying, you know, I, I never, it's like, it, it just doesn't make any sense that he never ceases to speak words against this place. So you compare those two characters. You have the false witness who was all riled up doing his best to make a case against Stephen. And how is Stephen described the face of an angel? And I, I wish I could have seen it. I don't, I don't know exactly what his face looked like, but you guys know this too. You've met people. You've seen it on their face. There's this peace about them. He had the face of an angel. Purity. Peace. A peaceful presence in the midst of his accusers. That's powerful. And I want to say that's what bold faith and walking with the Holy Spirit can look like. And I want to ask the question, how are you doing with that? Okay, so what happens next is the tension starts to ratchet up for Stephen. Imagine this council in the scene, right? There's a lot of frustration going on, a lot of accusations going on. You have Stephen with the face, like the face of an angel. And the high priest of the council says this to Stephen. Are these things so? Here we go. Game on. And Stephen is here with the opportunity to defend himself. Likely knowing that what he says very well may end him up in prison, beaten, or both. This has already happened to a few of the disciples recently, right? Remember Peter and John? And in chapter 5, the apostles were all thrown in jail. Can you imagine what's running through his mind in this moment? Recalling the wounds of beaten friends the miraculous healings that he's witnessing as he's going about his ministry, people coming to faith, angelic prison breaks. There's a lot going on here, and he has to speak to this council somehow, some way, and be clear about what he's being accused of. And Stephen here steps into a boldness that is steeped in wisdom and backed by the Holy Spirit, and it will cost him his life. We're going to see how Stephen's death was profoundly vindicated. And this is a moment in church history that creates a fork in the road. Those who will trust Jesus is who he says he is, and those who won't and don't.
And what comes next in chapter seven is an incredible speech that Stephen delivers. It's unrehearsed. And it's so profound. And I wish we had an entire sermon dedicated just to his speech. I wanna encourage you guys to study his speech sometime. But what I'm gonna do this morning for sake of time is give you the cliff notes of his speech. And I wanna spend a little more time helping us understand where this speech comes from and why it ends this way for Stephen. And I think that's what the Lord would have for us today to encourage our hearts. So first, here are some cliff notes of Stephen's speech. This is one of those places in scripture in chapter seven where it requires the reader to understand the bigger picture, the big God story. All of chapter seven is going to unpack the Old Testament in a glorious way. The speech isn't just a few punchy statements. It's a, it's a brilliant unpacking of God's glory and God's promises all fulfilled in Jesus. And it leaves those who hear it with a very clear choice to make. This Jesus is who he says he is. He really came and died and rose again, or he did not. So what does Stephen unpack here before the council? And mind you, this council of Jewish leaders would have had a very, very robust understanding of the scriptures. This was not teaching time for Stephen. If I had to do my best to sum all of Stephen's speech up into a couple sentences, and mind you, these are my words, they do it no justice, but it would be something like this. God's plan has always been to send Jesus. And God, God's people have had a history of rejecting God's plans. Don't do that again. The Spirit of God has shown us these things. Open your ears and your hearts. The Messiah has come as promised and you killed him. Why are you resisting the Spirit's work? So what does Stephen do through this speech? He walks through these profound stories, these sagas, if you will, that these Jewish leaders would have been very familiar with. And he does it in a very respectful way. He says to them, brothers, fathers, these terms of relational endearment, I'm with you. Let's try to relate to what our faith is and what we know about God. And Stephen walks through the stories of Abraham, of Joseph, of Moses, and remembers these great sagas of the Jewish faith together with them and how all these stories pointed to the faithlessness of man to trust and obey God and the faithfulness of God to keep his promises to bring about redemption. That's what Stephen does here in all of chapter seven. And then he recalls the story of David and Solomon and their pursuit to build a temple that, was, that, that could house God's presence. And he quotes Amos, one of the prophets, and he says this, heaven is my throne and, my, and the earth my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? But what is my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? So in other words, Stephen is saying here, hey, look, brothers, fathers, our entire faith, all that we have come to know and believe about God is at stake here right now. now let's pick it up in verse 51 and follow along with me here. This is what ends up ratcheting it up to the point of Stephen being killed. So here comes some boldness. He says this, you stiff-necked people, 
uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who will receive the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. It's pretty darn bold, isn't it? Where does that come from? How did he know to speak that way in front of the council? Verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Now, if this was me, and I'm reading the body language here in front of this council, uh, I don't know if you've ever had anybody grind their teeth at you, but if that's happening, I'm probably starting to brace myself I may be thinking about my exit strategy, where I'm going to run, or maybe how I'm going to swing, because that sounds gnarly. In verse 55, what does he do? But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You guys... Stephen looks to what is eternal. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for him a weight of eternal glory beyond all comparison. Jesus himself is revealing his glory to Stephen and standing in, vindic in vindication for what he is about to suffer. I want to pause here. Jesus is standing in this scene. The council would have understood scripture that talked about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. But Stephen says, Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. That's intense. And what is the council's response? They cried out with a loud voice, that's enough, we've had enough of this. And they stopped their ears like this and they rushed at him. And they cast him out of the city, they stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Why laying down their garments? So that they could get ready to hurl stones. It's hard to throw a stone with a big heavy cloak on. And they laid him down at the feet of Saul, which is gonna be another powerful story when we get back into the book of Acts. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Stephen fixes his gaze on Jesus in the middle of persecution and his face likely continuing to shine brightly. His death was being vindicated in that moment as he looked to his risen savior who was standing at the right hand of God. It was, this was his well done my good and faithful servant moment. And he could have easily stopped there. He could have easily rested in the arms of Jesus who was receiving him. But what does he do? He keeps going. He keeps speaking words of life and he chooses forgiveness. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. He died with words of forgiveness on his lips for those who were hurling stones at him. This too ought to sound familiar. This too is a familiar story. And what a story, right? 
How does Stephen know what to say? How on earth was he so brave? You're probably like me at this point in the story going, I could never, this guy had something I could never have. And in some regard, you're right. Stephen's story is unique. And it's captured here in the pages of scripture so that we are meant to understand who God is and how powerful he is. We're meant to understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We're not meant to insert ourselves directly into his shoes. But in some regard, you're also wrong to think you could never be that bold, to die for your faith or to forgive those who would take your life. Where did this faith come from for Stephen? Do you remember when we started this morning what things were mentioned about Stephen? He was a man full of faith and full of the Spirit. How do you become so full of faith and full of the Spirit that you could endure being stoned? Some of you are just like, I need faith and the Spirit so I don't lose my mind trying to raise my kids, let alone being stoned to death. Some of you students are like, I just need a C in chemistry. I need some faith and I need some spirit to help me get through this chemistry test. I need some more faith and spirit here. Well, where does faith and spirit come from that leads to this kind of boldness? You look to Jesus. This is the only answer, you guys. You look to Jesus as Stephen did. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and is set down at the right hand of God. So the last thing I want to do with us this morning is I, I want to fix our gaze on Jesus together. And I'm actually going to open up a few passages in Luke. Jesus' words. And you don't have to turn to all these passages. I'm going to have them up on the screen. And I would encourage you to write them down so that you could read through them at a later time. But what I mostly want you to do is just have a posture of listening and opening yourself to these words of Jesus that you might get a better understanding of where this boldness and faith came from for Stephen. And that it might help you find some boldness and faith in whatever you're facing. So listen to this word. I'm going to let the word speak for itself this morning. I'm just going to read a couple passages over us. These are Jesus' words in Luke 12. Have no fear. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more than they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. In verse 8, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But those who blaspheme against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. 
And they, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Stephen lived this out and is captured here in the pages of scripture for our encouragement. Luke chapter 21 Jesus foretells his own persecution. He says to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Listen to this, settle it in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how you ought to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Sound familiar from our Stephen story? You'll be delivered up even by parents, brothers, relatives, friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Paul, who was called Saul in Acts, would later go on to say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul watched Stephen be stoned to death and later on would be transformed completely by Jesus and come to understand that to live is to be in Christ and to be one with him and to die on the earth, it's actually gain. Brings us closer to Christ. One more scripture, Luke 21, Jesus foretelling his death. The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? and loses or forfeits himself. For, who, who, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man, will be ashamed when he comes in glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And later on in verse 44, he says this, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Do you remember what Stephen said to the council that got him stoned, where it really turned the corner? He, he said to them, you are uncircumcised in hearts and in ears. In other words, you're deaf, you're not hearing, your hearts are not open. And remember what the council did when Stephen said, behold, I see the son of man standing at the right hand of God. They stopped up their ears. Jesus had the same warning to those who were persecuting him. Let these words sink into your ears. 
You guys, these are the truths that were likely ringing in Stephen's ears as he faced his persecutors. The very words of Jesus prepare every man and every woman's heart for everything we will ever encounter. I'm gonna say that again. The very words of Jesus, these words in the Bible that we've just read together, the Bible that you're holding, prepare every man and woman's heart for everything we will ever encounter. The answer is Jesus. That's where boldness and faith come from. Faith comes from Jesus. He gave us his word and his spirit that we might walk in him without fear, but with gladness and boldness. And because we know how this story ends, we know that Jesus, we know what Jesus accomplished for us when he laid down his life for the sins of all. We know that he was resurrected from the dead and sits at the right hand of the Father. We know that God's presence does not dwell in the walls of the church, but in our hearts when we receive him. And so I say to you this morning, don't stop up your ears. Let these words sink in. And if all of this is new to you, consider this moment right now an invitation to hear and believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And he is the answer to every longing and every human heart. As we head into the Christmas season, I can't wait to celebrate that. Jesus is the answer to every longing of every human heart. So what can you do today? How can you live this out? I'm gonna give you just a couple practical things. Surround yourself with a group of like-hearted people seeking to believe Jesus is who he says he is and run with them. Do it together with them. It's why we exist as the church, not so that you go do this alone. Find some brothers and sisters, link arms with them, and go chase after Jesus. That's where faith and living out in the spirit comes from. Pray together, read together, study the word together. Hold each other up in the hard times. And open the pages of scripture. Study it, memorize it, pray it, wrestle with it. Let it nourish your soul beyond anything you could imagine. I love our series art. I look at it, I stare at it every Sunday and uh, some people are more prone to look at art and get something from it and some are more prone to just go, I don't even know what that is. Uh, but I see, I see smoke and I see fire in this over the city. And whenever I see that, I just begin to pray for our church and I pray for our hearts. That that's, that smoke and fire that is kind of a resemblance of the Holy Spirit would just continue to do his work in our hearts. I want more of Jesus. I wanna understand him more. And I want that for our church. Don't you? Well, let me pray for us. Father, we come before you right now and, and we confess that this story of Stephen is overwhelming. And a lot of times we just feel like we lack anything remotely connected to this kind of bold faith and courage. Yet your word tells us and Jesus tells us that we have everything we need in you. And so I pray this morning for those 
who are facing persecution in their lives that probably comes in much different forms. God, if they're facing hard times in their lives right now, if they're facing uh, just deep and dark seasons and valleys where things don't make sense, I pray that you'd help them run to you. Open their eyes to see Jesus as the answer. We love you. We're grateful for you, Jesus. We pray in that name. Amen.